to the sixth grade. Kids up to the sixth grade can make your way out to Children's Church. I'm going to pray in just a moment. I wanted to talk for a minute before I do that and ask for God's clear involvement and direction upon this time in God's Word. Um, let me go ahead and say from the pulpit your assignment. If you're a regular attender here at Calvary, I am giving a reading assignment, or if you prefer, a listening assignment. Uh, we are going to be going through in January and starting the book of Ephesians. I have very much so um, realized and sensed the attack of the devil upon what we are trying to do here at Calvary. And um, I came across a book um, and just went through it not too long ago. Many of you have gone through it uh, years and years ago. It's a famous book by C.S. Lewis, Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. Some of you have a copy of The Screwtape Letters. You can go to the library and get one from there. You can purchase one online if you like. Or if you want to go on YouTube, I've given the specifics as far as the one that I recommend on YouTube. You can listen through it in less than four hours. So if you break that up in chunks, and we're going to be starting in January, our series in Ephesians. And so I would love for you to go through it. Here's my experience with this book, The Screwtape Letters. If you have been around for a while, the attacks of the devil, there are some things that are going to jump off the page to you. You're actually going to think that C.S. Lewis is some kind of a genius, which it's probably fair to say he was. And so um, I have that posted in a few different places here in the church by the entrances, but I would challenge you, if you, if you can go through it more than once, the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis is your assignment over the next month and a half or so. When we look into God's word, when we look at his plan for the church today, we very much so, very quickly connect the likening of God's people to soldiers. I think as soldiers of Jesus Christ, we face battles, and I think that what we wrestle against, which is not flesh and blood, is so smart. The devil is so intelligent, and he is such a fast learner. He has been observing mankind since before the fall. And any time we tend to get some kind of victory or a good place in our lives or in a church family, I think the devil has a counter move, very much so. I think that in moving towards our lesson today and what we're going to look at, I think a very effective strategy of the devil is to take some topics that are very, very important for us and to have some folks, if I can use the word spoil them, spoil a certain topic and it's not hard for me to find something to give you a current illustration because we just went through at least three weeks highlighting the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one of these topics. It's a part of the Godhead, the Trinity, and yet some people have abused the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the point where many Christians are a little bit afraid of it. They're not quite sure what to do with that, and so we stay away from it. And we've spent some intentional time talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As way of introduction for this morning, I want to suggest to you that there is another topic that the devil has made moves and counter moves, and then we as believers in Jesus Christ make moves and counter moves. And I want to suggest to you that the devil has had a lot of success with taking the topic that we're going to discuss today 
and making it something that very much so believers are afraid to talk about, that teachers of the word of God are hesitant to talk about. And can I suggest to you that the devil loves this? He loves the fact that he can take something that God wants us to have high on our radar. Can I suggest to you this is something that is major in our church? Um, Several months ago with planning on what we would teach through before Christmas, um, I went and I said we're going to take some time to talk about the church again. What are our main objectives as a church? I have taught through the four main objectives that we use around here to narrow it down, if you will. Worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. And I want to suggest to you that there is an area, the area of worship, that the devil has been extremely successful in getting many people to be turned off to, to resisting, And the reason is the same reason for the ministry of the Holy Spirit because some people have abused this area that we're going to talk about today. Now, right away, when we mention a topic like this, there are some who tune out. There are some whose antennas go up and they're tuned in very, very closely, seeing what's going to be said. We're going to talk today about the blessing of giving. And more specifically, we're going to talk about the worship that you have an opportunity for in the area of giving. I think that it is, and I just even heard somebody say this to me this morning, it is a rare topic that we hear preached on, the topic of giving. And yet, with that said, it's very likely that if you go back to a sermon that you heard on giving, on tithing, on offerings, whatever it might be, there will be some very vivid memories if you have the same recollection that I have. I can recall some things in some sermons, and I've only heard a very few sermons that talked about this area. But if you will right now understand that it is my job to stand and teach the Word of God, and then if I can go ahead and throw this out to you, I think the devil has been successful with spoiling this area for many, many people. It's, it's sensitive to talk about money. It is. This is hard. When we think of this, I think one of the reasons that um, points in sermons over the even decades ago, that's the case for me, why they stand out to you is because oftentimes when we have some kind of a teaching and when, don't miss this, when it is attached to an emotion, there is something that burns that onto the hard drive of our minds. We remember that. And that's why it stands out. And when you talk about giving, when you talk about money, There's something emotional that comes along with that. So I want to challenge us today with this area of worship through our giving, the blessing of giving. And there are um, all kinds of directions I could go. I'm not going to space this out more than one week. We're going to talk about it one time. So I'm going to give you four sermons today is what I'm going to do. All right, I've tried to narrow it down. Just four sermons is what we're going to talk about. And then just so you're on the inside here, I have very much seen and felt the devil attacking over the past week in a couple of major ways for me personally. And that happens every once in a while. And so I'll have to stay on my knees a little bit longer. I'll have to make sure that I have the right um, approach when I come to God's word. And then I suspect, not for all of you, but for some of you, that the devil has been working overtime 
in the past week or two. And he would love to continue his keeping you maybe ignorant or um, just forgetful about this topic. And so as I go to prayer, I'm going to wait about 10, 15 seconds, and I'm going to ask you if you would go ahead and pray. If you haven't had some kind of an attack in the past week, why don't you pray for somebody who might be in the pew next to you or across from you that very much so the devil's been attacking. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes, and would you spend just a short, short season in prayer, and then I will pray. Heavenly Father, we have been given exceeding and great and precious promises from you. Would you, allow, would you allow us to see those very clearly today and to be able to respond to you in our worship in this area? Allow us to be stewards of what you've given us and students of the word of God. I would pray for your clear involvement during this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's fun to think of those memories. It's fun to go back over the years and have those um, moments that stand out in your life. I can remember a time when uh, I was dating Tina, and I don't think we were engaged yet, and I made my first trip to go from my home in Danville, Illinois, up to Gary, Indiana. And as I was driving my mom's Buick at that point, because I was a college student and didn't have a car, uh, but she gave me her dependable car. And I went straight north out of Danville and went up to go to Gary. And instead of going east to head to Gary, I headed west towards Chicago. Well, uh, very quickly, I came across an area where there's all kinds of apartment buildings. It's called Cabrini Greens. Anybody here familiar at all with the apartments Cabrini Greens? Just a handful of people, and you're smiling because you know I would not be very at home in a place like Cabrini Greens. As I was on the highway and driving this dependable nice car, I got a flat tire on the interstate. I pulled off the highway and as I went up to a gas station and drove there, I opened the trunk and I started to change this tire. And right away in this um, very, very um, unsavory part of town at this gas station, somebody came right up to me seeing that I was in need and he said, let me help you with that. And so he jumped in and started to help and before I knew it, he had taken over changing this tire. He wouldn't let me do anything. I suspected very quickly what he was getting at. He wasn't just a good Samaritan. He wanted something in return. He wanted to, you know, get a little bit of a monetary gift, perhaps. That was my guess in my youth, and I was right. And as I stood there and helplessly watched him jump in and change this tire, I got to the end, and let me tell you what I told him, because I, I, I'm a fixer. Some of you know that. If you've gotten to know me, I'm a fixer, so I'm going to fix this guy's problem, perhaps, And so I'm going to give him a monetary gift. And here's what I said to this gentleman. I said, I tell you what, I really appreciate the help that you've given me. This has been um, a a big encouragement to me. And so here's what I'm going to do. I want to give you something for that. So what I'll do is, is I will will take you inside this gas station here and I will buy you $20 worth of anything in there except for cigarettes and alcohol. Anything you want except for cigarettes and alcohol, $20 worth, or else I'll give you a $10 bill. It was a little bit of an experiment for me, too. And I made him that offer, and not a second went by before he said, "Mm, I'll take the $10, just like that, is what he said. And I gave him the $10, and I went off on my way. 
let me suggest to you that there was something going on there with someone who did me a very nice deed, someone who I had a chance and the resources to pay him for that, and yet there was something, don't miss this, there was something within me that wanted to control just a little bit, a little bit of what I handed over. When I opened my wallet, I wanted some control of what was going to happen with that, and I don't want to feed this guy's addiction or his problem if that was the case with him, and I can't say for sure that I knew that, but he took the 10 bucks. So I'm curious as to what his motivations were, but I'm more curious as to what my motivations were. I think that you and I, when it comes to this area of control, that is very much a part of this conversation. All that to bring us to our text. We're going to be in a, in a few places today, but if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 23, that's different than perhaps what your bulletin cover says. Matthew chapter 23, and it will not be a typical sermon. Like in January, we'll start through Ephesians. But in Matthew chapter 23, I want to go ahead and I want to just have two points for us today for you to consider your worship. Two points. And do not misunderstand me. This is one of the most debated topics. There's a line that I use all the time. If you've been around for any amount of time, I'll use this line. Good men disagree on this. I say it all the time. Good men disagree on this topic. And so having said that, let me tell you something. There's good men that disagree on this topic. In fact, I've had one time where I've had this hand up in the air on my opinion and another time where I've had this hand up in the air on my opinion in the area of giving. Grace giving, tithing. And can I suggest to you that some of you right now or even already have had sermons that you've heard in years past come up in your mind and maybe stories, illustrations that have helped you in this area. Let me remind you again of what the point is. The point is to get you to a place where you are able to worship God in this area. I'm gonna walk you through some Bible verses that I hope will be a help to you. They've been an encouragement to me. You're going to see which side that I am leaning on on this debatable conversation. But my prayer is not that you will get caught up in a debate or for some of you, not that you will have to win the debate. You know who you are. My prayer is that you will see what God has for you in this area of being blessed by our giving. Number one, if you're taking notes, two points. The first one's the longer of the two. Number one, the kingdom giving provides for God's church. Kingdom giving provides for God's church. I'm gonna talk about tithing just for a moment. I'm gonna give us some background on this and I'm gonna give you something that might be a tool that hopefully you will find helpful. I think that it is right to say that tithing honors an Old Testament principle for providing for ministry. We're going to talk about one in detail, and then we're going to touch on a couple others in a small way as far as this tithing in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes in Israel. When these tribes finally moved into the promised land, and they were given land that God had designated for them, there were 11 tribes that were given land. And their job with that land was to make money <clears throat> and to raise crops. Which tribe was it, class, that was not given any land? It was the tribe of Levi. Levi did not get any land. They were not given the resources to raise money. 
raise crops. The Levites did not get any. Instead, they were provided for by the other tribes. These ones that were Levites were ones that were called, if you're taking notes, this is a helpful way to to remember a point here. They were called out of gainful employment, the tribe of Levi. Now let me just um, put this out there for a point for us. God intends for most of his children to be out there in the world, busy with gainful employment in the different cultural avenues that are not sinful. That's God's plan for the majority of people, being salt and light in a place where you are earning money. And if you've been given gifts and skills, it's just, a, it's just a fact, you're going to grow in your income. In the day we live in, in the place where we live, if you have gifts and skills, you're going to grow in your income. If you are taking notes, write down Numbers 18, 20, and 21 for that um, principle I just gave you. The principle that some people were to devote their full energies to the work in the temple of God. Uh, Numbers uh, 18, 20, and 21. You don't have to turn there because we're going to go right to Matthew 23 right now because we're in the Old Testament and I want to go ahead and ask a question. Here is a question that um, would hopefully come into all believers' minds. Does Jesus Christ confirm this way of supporting ones who would do kingdom work as their full-time vocation? What did Jesus have to say about those who would uh, be devoted to kingdom work as their vocation? This is a good question in Matthew 23. In verse number 23, let me give you the context. It's Jesus Christ. He is, um, he is reacting to or he is giving some instruction to those wicked ones that were around him, the scribes and the Pharisees. And here's what he says in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites for you the next word is tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness these you ought to have done without neglecting the others we're going to stop right there jesus christ very clearly talks about tithing here and he makes it clear that tithing is not the most important thing And so, if you will, Jesus has a scale of the lesser things and the more important things, and it is not the more important things. I think we see here that justice and mercy and love, these are the the bread and butter of the Christian life. We must have those. But Jesus Christ says, do not neglect the others. Well, for those of you who are students of God's word and you're wondering what to do today, you might ask this question. Okay, I hear Jesus say that. I can't argue with that. But is Jesus here just speaking to a Jewish audience? We have that group of the Levites that needed support for the temple work that they were doing. Is this just something that was for that audience? And to give you an answer for that, you can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll put it on the screen if you don't have time to turn there quickly. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, here we find the Apostle Paul And he is talking to a local church. And he gives some instruction here that helps us with this connection, this area of a tithe. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse number 13, says this. Do you not know that, so let let me give you the context. Look back up here. 
The Apostle Paul is talking about those who get their income through, through kingdom work. Missionaries, pastors, evangelists, these that um, do not have a job outside of kingdom work. That's what he's talking about. There's some familiar teaching here. We're just going to key in on verses 13 and 14 to try to make this connection. It says this, Do you not know that those who are employed in temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in sacrificial offerings? And then it says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. That's the connection that I'm going to give us to take us toward this area of, don't miss this, either working up to a tithe or making the tithe your starting point and going beyond it. I think we see that very clearly. This is a touchy subject, and I'm not intimidated by that. I want you to be blessed by this. Let me just tell you right now, Around here, there are, I think, just two people that see the giving report, who gives what. They know what that is. They count the money and they will give out a slip that has a record of that. I never see who gives what. I have no desire to see who gives what. In fact, I'm talking about this pendulum all the time and making sure we land in the right place. My pendulum probably has gone too far over. Whenever somebody starts to hint about what they have given, there's, it's something of a bitter taste to me, and I want to stay away from that. That's how much I want to keep away from that because I don't want that to influence how I treat anybody in this church family. And so do not think that you're going to get some kind of kudos or your name on a wall necessarily for doing that. What I'm getting at is this is an area of worship between you and between God. The words in the same way are what I highlighted there in 1 Corinthians 9, 13 and 14. And I don't think in those words that a tithe is forced right there. But with this point that we see, starting with Jesus Christ, he puts his stamp of approval on the Old Testament system of tithing. And then Paul uses it as an analogy for the church in their giving. And so that I would just tell you this, if you are one who is tithing, then you are affirming this principle. Perhaps it's somewhere where you started and you have recognized the blessing that it is to give and go beyond a tithe. Perhaps you're one who's working up to the tithe and I'm all about the grace on this. There's no doubt about that, that we have grace. And if, if, if all this is new to you, and I imagine that it might be for some, um, I have no expectation that, I mean, I know when you look at giving 10% of your income and you've never done this before, this can take you back. I was, I, was, I was mad years ago when I had a coworker of mine that came to Jesus Christ and it was such a blessing and we were having a Bible study and one of the first seven topics in this Bible study was this area of tithing. And he, I mean, he was lost he said, I, I mean, he had, he had been through the young couple's credit card thing, gotten the debt up to his eyeballs, got rid of his credit cards. He could not imagine taking a tenth of his income after coming to Christ just after a few weeks and doing that. And so I understand if this is the first time that you're hearing this, that giving up to a tenth might be a big stretch for you. And that's going to be okay. But once God burdens your heart toward the obedience of giving, I use the O word there, once God burdens your heart towards the obedience of giving, you need to work towards that 
and for many of you, work beyond that 10%. Just if you're not giving 10%, don't call it a tithe. Just call it an offering. If you're giving a tithe and then an offering beyond that, call it a tithe and an offering. I don't freak out about the rules. But for me, honestly, it just helps me to keep that percentage before me. Some of you are very, very good with numbers. You're good with a checkbook. I'm not horrible with a checkbook, and I'm not great with a checkbook. It helps me in how I am built to just keep that number before me of 10% as a starting point. I'll give you one stat, just one. Here's the stat um, of a survey not uh, done fairly recently. Among evangelical Christians, so that's kind of a broad stripe there, among evangelical Christians in America, the number, the most recent number that I could find of people that are tithing is 2.7%. So out of 100% of the folks that call themselves Christians in America, 2.7% of those are ones that would give a tithe, 10% or more. If 97% of Christians are not tithing, Let's not get too bogged down with the details. A tithe or not a tithe. Or how about this one? Do you give on the gross or on the net? Have you heard that one before? What do we give on, the gross or on the net? 97% of you are not doing it at all. Why are we having this conversation about the gross or the net? I can remember in my upbringing years ago, someone just saying we give on the big number. If we give on the big number, then when we get at the end, we're not going to have any regrets with that. And so for myself personally, I know what my paycheck is. I know what I make over the year. At the church, I get a statement back. And by the way, there's a lot of areas where you can give your money to, a lot of wonderful ministries. And I'm gonna step out here and say, those need to be offerings. And you need to have a tithe, is my recommendation to you. You need to have a tithe for the local church. I can remember, I wonder if, I, I, if, if you have a memory of a, a message over the years. You can share it with me after the service today or later on this week. I can remember vividly my pastor standing up and teaching and the emotion. Not He wasn't a screamer, but he was one who faithfully gave. And he got his statement at the end of the year with his giving. And there was a week on there when there was no giving. And he was freaking out because he, he liked that 10% number. That was very helpful to him. And they could not figure out what happened. You know, did somebody lose a check or what's happening here? And he found out the answer to it, that they had been on vacation, so they gave at a different time. But very much so, I can remember the emotion that was in his voice. And for some of you, this area of worship through your giving, you need to burn this into your lives. When we talk about worship, a lot of the time we're talking about singing. Sometimes we're talking about maybe some scripture reading. But we need to remember that there needs to be a time that we're worshiping God with our giving. And I recommend to you that you give right off the top. Some of you read through Proverbs on a regular basis. 22 times we find in the book of Proverbs the teaching of first fruits. And in Proverbs it was an agrarian society. It was based on agriculture. And so when they would harvest, the first tenth would be given and I think that it's a fair thing and a, a good thing to say that the local church today is a representation of the Old Testament storehouse. So offerings are different than a tithe. It might be leading up to a tithe. It might be beyond a tithe. But a tithe should come off the top. I think it should come to the local church that you are blessed to be at. The offering comes from your surplus. Now, 
Be careful not to let you or not, not to let someone talk you into giving offerings when you're not paying your bills. Be very, very careful. There are some folks who have been behind on their mortgage and yet they're very faithful with giving offerings to this ministry. Do not let someone do that. That is not what God has called us to do. I think that we need to tithe off the top. And the beautiful part of that is no matter how much money you make, you make 50 bucks a week, you got five bucks to give or more. You make $500 a week, you've got 50 bucks to give or more. It's easy for us. Now, if you teach them while they're young, if you teach your children, your grandchildren while they are young and they adapt this as a discipline, it will go so far with them. They won't have to get to the point where they're figuring out which payment not to make to give to the church. No, the church comes first. And when you tithe off the top, or you tithe off the top of the offerings come when you have figured out how to live on the other 90% that you have. And that sounds strong, but honestly, it's just a fact. So so many have not even learned how to live on 100% of what they have, right? When you learn how to live on 90% or praise the Lord on 85%, when you learn how to live on 70% of what's left after you've given to God, it's then that the money can really be fun. It's then that you can be generous. The the tithe appears with this Old Testament area of the Levites. It appears first in the Bible in Genesis chapter 14 where we have this character of Melchizedek appearing and Abraham giving a tithe. That's before the law. It appears next in Genesis 28 with Jacob and Jacob's ladder and Jacob says, I will give a tenth of all I have. So I'm not gonna get crazy about the law and about the rules and honestly, you don't even have any accountability when it comes to right here. Nobody's hunting you down with a box of offering envelopes. You don't have that. But what I'm trying to let you know is we have a principle of 10% that was set a long time ago. And for many of you who say, you know, I'm not about that kind of law, I'm just, I'm not about that. That's Old Testament stuff and I don't want to get bogged down with legalism. You might think that grace giving is going to help you go way past the 10%. And for some of you, maybe it has. And praise God for that. But can I suggest to you that some of you need to say, I'm not giving 10%. I've not gone way past that 10%. You know, I, don't, I'm, I don't mind stepping on toes, but I don't want to step outside of what the scriptures say here. But just very, very practically, out of 100 bucks, if you're given $2.50. I mean, come on. It's not for me. This is the worship of how you respond to God. And so let me encourage you, and I don't even have this anywhere in my notes, but we talk about two different areas with this giving. One is a planned giving, and we find that throughout 1 and 2 Corinthians, a planned giving. So you are saying, this is what I am planning to do. And then you have an opportunity for spontaneous giving beyond that. Now, let me combat one thing, and then I'll close with this second point very quickly. I'm going to drop some Hebrew on you. Are you ready? You ready for some Hebrew? Some of you love that. Some of you say, eeh, Hebrew. Do not let someone quote the scripture incorrectly. It'll go something like this. Do not let someone tell you that you need to give with the idea, don't miss this, because you're going to find it in different places. Do not tell someone that you need to give with the idea that you're going to get it all back. You need to reject that kind of teaching. Give, and it's all going to come back to you, and even more. And it's confusing because they tie a Bible verse to it. 
give and it's going to come back to you. Doesn't the Bible say it'll come back? And they use Malachi 3.10, which says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. Is that scripture? Yes, it is, but do not misunderstand that word blessing. If you look up that word blessing in the Hebrew, it does not mean BMW. That's not what God's talking about there. That word blessing actually means this. It means peace. When you are faithful in giving, God will pour down peace. And oh, how some of you need peace. Oh, how some of you need that in your life. This, so do not let someone misquote scripture and say it's all gonna come back to you. All right, number one, when you release 10% of your income to kingdom ministries, you're honoring the creator rights. Number two, and this is a whole other sermon, but I promised I wouldn't, so let me just touch on it. Number two, kingdom giving is an antidote to covetousness. When you are faithful in this way, kingdom giving is an antidote to covetousness. Of the big 10, everybody, the Ten Commandments, the last one that we see is thou shall not covet. I want to let you know right now, this discipline of kingdom giving has been helpful for me in my life. That I do not have to um, have anything that I see or what the Joneses next door have. Jesus affirmed this when he said, be on your guard against every form of covetousness. Colossians 3, 5 makes it very, very clear that covetousness is idolatry. So if you're taking notes, here's a nice little sub-point here. Wanting things too much is dangerous for your soul. Wanting things too much is very, very dangerous for your soul. And kingdom giving helps you with this. I want to give you one verse. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And so I'm suggesting to us that every time we give of the first fruits of God's harvest in our life and give to kingdom work, we are saying something about our confidence in God. When you give to God's work, you're saying something about how much you trust him because that verse ends in this way. You might be surprised by this. This is one of the top 15 verses usually that I will use, whether in prayer or in conversation or it flows out of a message. The verse, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many of you love that verse and you will say it every once in a while? I know I do. Did you realize that it was tied to this idea of covetousness? Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, you are saying I trust God by not putting these extra monies towards more security in my life. I'm taking these extra monies, and I'm talking about mostly offerings here. I trust God by not putting them towards more comfort in my life. And I want to suggest to you that this sermon looks very, very different in America than it looks over in Africa. Okay? But that's where most of y'all live. And so we need to understand that when we do this, 
we are saying we are trusting in God, having less, 10% less security, maybe 20% less comfort. The decision is between God's values supported through the mission of the church and 10% more security. And here's where the real battle is. And by the way, pastors just run from this topic and that's why I say that I think the devil's been effective. In my reading, in my study, and going through different sermons, you should hear, I mean, pastors that I respect and one of them starts out with, okay, everybody, I'm, we're going to talk about this like it's uh, a letters to my children. And that's what we're going to talk about this, so it's not so offensive. Somebody else talks about it in this way. They had another pastor come in and preach on it, so he didn't have to. This is touchy. This is hard. And the real battle, honestly, and I need to stand and to teach the whole word of God. And here's how I feel about it, because I don't know how much you give and I don't want to know, but I do want to know that you are worshiping God with your giving. If we genuinely say that we are gathering, gathering together for worship and part of that worship is giving back to God and we fail to teach what the Bible says about that, then we are failing as those that would stand and teach. The real battle is fought within yourself. When you decide that you're going to be obedient in your giving to God's work or not. Hey, Uncle Sam, he knows how to get his, right? He knows how to get his. He takes it right away. Uncle Sam knows how to get his, but what kind of a giver does God love? God loves a cheerful giver. That's what he wants you to be, a cheerful giver. And here at the church, you know, you can um, turn that in and we keep a record of that and you get a slip for how much you gave. And I think that's perfectly acceptable. I think if that's your only motivation, you need to be guarded there. There's something going wrong. But if Uncle Sam says you're going to give a certain percentage in taxes and if you want to give some of that to your local charity, your local church, and you don't have to give double, I think that's perfectly fine. But guard your motivations. Guard your heart. My counsel to you is that the first check that you write is something that's been set aside for God because if you do it in reverse, you're going, you say, God, I'm going to give you whatever's left. Well, some of you know what happens to that, whatever's left. This is why God established the principle of the first fruits. All right, in closing, let me give you just two practical arguments that folks give, um, that people have not to give. Very quickly, two practical arguments that people have not to give. Number one is the excuse of need. I don't have to give because of the amount of giving that's already come in in the church. More money was given that was needed. Understand, you're thinking of it backwards. It's not about that. It's about your worship with God. You look at the, the, the bank account and the church is blessed in this way. And you say, okay, I'm not going to give because you have the excuse of need. If you, giving as between, if you view giving as between you and God, it's not going to affect what you give. And the other one is this. And I think this is an American thing as well. But the excuse of support. And here's what I mean by that. I'm going to stop my giving for a season because I don't like what they're doing. I like that control. This is what I'm going to say. And the giving, which is supposed to be something going on between a person and God, becomes a horizontal vote of protest. Listen, we do not use our giving as a vote of either confidence or protest. We are blessed, and God wants us to worship him with our giving. That was four sermons, four sermons. 
I know some of you have had teachers in the past that have done a good job with this. Let me tell you, if you don't like that word tithe, you want to stay away from that, that's fine with me. If you're like me and you need to look at that percentage and make that a starting point and then you can give besides that, I'm fine with that. But the benefit is going to come to you and this is one of our major objectives. We have expression of God's love. We have fellowship with God's people. We have instruction in the word of God and we have worship. And for you to get all that you can out of this time when we join together, you need to be worshiping God with giving. Let's pray. Father, there is no doubt that everyone in this room is blessed beyond what we deserve. You take how we've been blessed and what we have and you cut it by 75% and we're more blessed than most of the world. We cannot use that as an excuse. And so God, would you allow us to look at what you've done in all the areas of worship? Would you allow us not to be afraid of this area? As we see the money, we see money and finances talked about so much in the scriptures. Would you allow us to not be afraid of it? Would you allow us to understand that uh, this is something that we can have? And it's between me and you, my God. Would you allow us to be a community of believers that is deep in our worship and expressing that love to you? We thank you that you bless. We thank you that you continue to bless and that you will bless down the road because you are faithful at all times. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Anna just to play through just a short song on the piano. If you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you've never asked him to be your savior, right now you can stop and say, God, I don't know what this is all about, but I feel you calling me to be your child. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask God the Father to be your Father. Forgive you of your sins. You can do that right during this time. Anyone else, maybe you want to stop. Maybe God's put something on your heart you want to pray about.